TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. All right, well, we have a lot to talk about today. We uh, There's always something going on in St. Louis, whether it's uh, talking about beer even mm. for non-alcoholic varieties, or talking about the workforce and what we might need, or talking about just the state of the region. Yeah, we are talking about innovation as we do every Sunday here on KMOX. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan. And uh, yeah, coming up, we're going to talk about the skills gap in St. Louis. So many people want a job. They want a job of the future. They want to get trained quickly. And companies are hurting for people to the tune of 200,000 open positions. We got to get on the same page here and figure out how do we train people for these jobs that exist. Especially when the unemployment rate, the average unemployment rate in the region is 3.4%, which is incredibly low. But then it's heartbreaking to hear that it's 37% in some specific parts of the metro. Right. Uh, So... There's a lot of work to be done. There is. And we're going to hear a little bit about that from uh, the Jennings School Superintendent, how they are beginning this career planning process as early as kindergarten, learning the Hippocratic Oath when you're in kindergarten. (laughs) Well, I I think kindergartners can do no harm. I I would trust them to do that. (laughs) And uh, speaking of beer, we're going to get into uh, an update on the non-alcoholic craft brewery that's been taking St. Louis by storm, and they hope to take the sports recovery market by storm? What? It would make tailgate. I mean, you could tailgate before and after now, right? You you have a... You'd have something in common with the athlete down there. There you go. Absolutely. (laughs) You can feel like you are on the field with them. Yeah. So we'll check in with Wellbeing Brewing and find out how they are doing these days. But right now, let's talk about the airport, if only because Travis Sheridan, I think, spends about... (laughs) What, a quarter of your time there? (laughs) Uh, A lot, a lot of time. And I will tell you, flying in and out of Lambert is so easy. Like, I I spend time at a lot of airports, usually entering and exiting through Lambert, and I know when I'm going to leave, it's easy, and when I come home, oh, it feels so good to be home. Well, it's not the flashiest airport, but I think the ease of use, what you just said, is the key. And uh, Lambert Airport ranked 15th out of the top 50 U.S. airports by a study from the Points Guy. And editorial director Scott Marowitz joins us to explain this study. You know, passengers can't always choose their airport. You know, if you're going to Disney World, you're going to end up flying into Orlando International Airport. You really don't have a choice. But we looked at everything from on-time arrivals to congestion or mass transit options to get into the city center, but then also food options, lounges, um, and other characteristics like, you know, how many nursing stations or pet relief areas does an airport have? 
And at the end of the day, yeah, you are stuck going to a certain airport if you're visiting a city, but we want to send a message. You know, the Point Sky is all about advocating for travelers. And the message here is if your airport's at the bottom of the list, maybe you should take a trip to the top of the list, check out what they're doing right, and bring that back to your airport and fix that, whether that's adding in more space for lounges or restaurants or changing the configuration of your airport so you get in more natural light or just even having more power outlets uh, at the gates. So what are the highs and what are the lows for those of us in St. Louis who have to go through STL? Lambert is actually a pretty good airport. Um, It's right in the middle. Um, Some of the things you can't really control, like traffic or, um, you know, some of the delays out there. Uh, One of the things we found is actually it's great for nursing mothers. All of the family restrooms have sort of a privacy feature. Um, Not the best place to do nursing, but actually coming this month are going to be three dedicated rooms just for new moms. So that's a nice little plus there. Everything else about the airport, just, um, you know, kind of middle of the road, has enough amenities to make passengers happy. Um, Not the best in the country, but definitely not the worst in the country. Now, Scott, for those of us in St. Louis who have long memories, which is a a lot of people here, it seems like every time the airport comes up, people say, that's great that you got that new flight to, uh, you know, Boston or wherever. I remember TWA when I could fly to London, Paris and 50, you know, additional destinations beyond what we have now. And so when you put it in that context for St. Louisans who think the airport's horrible today compared to what it used to be, 15 is not that bad. No, you know, being there, it's uh, 15 out of 50 is not a bad spot to be at all. Um, Yeah, the golden age of TWA is not coming back, unfortunately. And as we've had more and more consolidation in the airline industry, unless you live in a giant hub city, you're going to have to connect. And unfortunately, St. Louis lost out in that battle. But, you know, on the domestic front, you've had Southwest grow it into a major airport and pick up a lot of those domestic routes that weren't there in the past. Of course, those glory days of flying off to Paris nonstop, um, they're not going to be coming back anytime soon. It, it seems like um, compared to some of the other airports that have been through mergers and dehubbings, uh, the Pittsburghs, the Clevelands, the Cincinnati's, the Memphises, uh, what Southwest has done here, it feels like St. Louis should maybe be a little, um, it should feel like they got lucky compared to some of these other dehub cities. Yeah, it's very hard to tell someone who is used to nonstop flights to the rest of the world to say, yeah, you are lucky. But when you do look at a place like Cincinnati, St. Louis has fared a lot better. And you do have Southwest Airlines to thank for that. There are a lot of places that you can get to nonstop that similar sized cities in America don't have the option of. And the airport is actually, you know, been very proactive in doing renovations, fixing up the terminals, and trying to make sure that at least the passenger experience is a decent one out there. Um, You know, it's not the best in the country. An airport like Austin, for instance, has a lot more local food offerings. They have live concerts. They've got beautiful glass floor-to-ceiling windows and big open spaces. 
but it's a newer airport, and it was built for a different age in travel. I was going to ask, what are some examples of what uh, maybe the folks at Lambert could look to in other cities? You just mentioned local food offerings. You know, I was in Denver recently. They had dogs in the concourse just for anybody to pet. I mean, what are some examples of of things that, and you mentioned mothers, the pods they're putting out, stuff like that. What are some examples that they could look to for some of the more successful airports? Yeah, you know, I'll say St. Louis um, for new mothers, great airport. So that that's great. Other airports should be looking to St. Louis for that. Um, if you're a pet fan, uh, Philadelphia is the airport that actually shocked us with 14 different pet relief areas in its five terminals. Uh, I don't know how many dogs are coming through there, but there are a lot. And then, you know, getting back to food offerings and lounges, those are a lot of the great offerings that particularly our readers at the Point Sky love. Many of them have lounge access through their credit cards or through elite status. And you know, if there is a priority pass lounge that can come in and really help travelers, that's a great benefit. Um, personally, I'm a fan of natural light, uh, especially when you're flying all day. It, you know, I, I get in a car in the morning, go to the airport, get on a plane, go to a hotel, often sit in meeting rooms, you don't see the sun. That 30 minutes of having bright sunlight in an airport terminal can make such a difference on your day. Personally, for me, the other big thing is just mass transit. And it's great that um, Lambert does have connections into the city for that. I know it's not necessarily the fastest ride for people, but it is a great connection. As a New Yorker, I hate sometimes the traffic that I have to face and the difficulty we have getting on mass transit from particularly LaGuardia into midtown Manhattan. So I think that's a great thing that St. Louis has. And, you know, I'd love to see them double down on that. Yeah, I am not a fan of renting cars, so I always love when there's... It seems like that should be the first thing when you do mass transit rail in a city is take it to the airport. And then I can take Lyft or whatever once I get into the core to get around. Yeah, and if you look at Denver International Airport, they did a great job of finally putting a light rail system into the airport. It's a long ride, uh, but during rush hour, it's great. I'm, I find I'm actually more productive on the train. I, it's predictable, and I always travel light, so it's easy for me to get on mass transit and throw my suitcase wherever it needs to go. All right, so there you go. And coming up, we'll talk beer with Wellbeing Brewing. Stick around right after this. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Michael and Travis with you, and let's check back in with one of our former guests here on Nothing Impossible. In fact, let's check in with the very first St. Louis startup to appear on the uh, Invested, the crowdsourcing platform here in St. Louis. Yeah, we're going to talk to uh, Jeff from Wellbeing Brewery. And uh, Jeff, you your beer is... Is special in that it's non-alcoholic, correct? Yeah, that's correct. All we do is make uh, non-alcoholic craft beer. That's it. So we just totally focus on that. So how have things been so far? And uh, for our listeners, how long has well-being been around? Uh, so we started in earnest in uh, January of 2017 is when we first started selling beer. Uh, so it's been a couple, uh, almost a year and a half. Uh, and honestly, things could not be going better for this entire category. Uh, there was a lot of trends that were sort of happening. 
um, when we started, and we've certainly been able to just continue brewing beer and getting it out there, and uh, there's been a really, really positive response. Uh, I think people were surprised. You know, St. Louis has considered this uh, growing beer capital, especially, uh, you know, we've had Schlafly as kind of the uh, grandfather of the whole scene, but so many other breweries have uh, sparked up. But yours is a little different given the N.A. spin. What was it like uh, getting this brewery started? I I imagine that uh, some of the others have a well-worn path that they go through to get going, but what was different for you? Yeah, it's you know, the beer, the beer industry is pretty set. Like, here's how the margins are. Here's how the whole in- industry works. Uh, what's interesting about our, our beer is that because we don't have alcohol in us, we don't have to sell the way alcohol beer does. So alcohol beer has to go through wholesalers and distributors in every market across the country. Uh, but we can sell directly to consumers, so we can actually ship beer online and sell through Amazon and have our own site. And we can also sell direct to retailers in addition to selling through wholesalers. So that's been one of the biggest differences as a business that we've had to kind of figure out and educate people on. Um, And then as far as just getting into retailers and consumers, I think, you know, initially everyone asked the question, why would you take alcohol out of beer? No one quite understood that. Um, And then I think when people started taking a little step back uh, and just realized so many people that aren't drinking, can't drink, are in a moment where it's a Tuesday and they just want a beer, but they don't want the alcohol. I mean, all of these things sort of started bubbling up and uh, turns out that uh, drinking can, alcohol consumption is going down a little bit, and our beer has really found a place, found a niche, I guess. Well, and Jeff, it, it strikes me that uh, in the past, if you were going to have a non-alcoholic, uh, whether it be a beer, a beer or a cocktail, they always uh, suffered on quality. It was always like a lesser-than product. It was never up to par with the, the version that has alcohol. How important was it for you for well-being to be a top-notch beverage, regardless of having alcohol or not? Yeah, I mean, I think that was, you know, where I started this whole thing. The, the question was, why aren't there any good non-alcoholic beers, number one? And then why aren't there good non-alcoholic choices in most social situations? I think that those were the two big questions. Um, so you're right. Uh, most NA beers were an afterthought of big brewers and they made them as inexpensively as possible to uh, lead a corporate social responsibility program. And that's what they were. Um, but it turns out that this craft beer thing happened. There was nothing really good in that. And so uh, we went after this idea of trying to make really, really good uh, craft non-alcoholic beer, uh, found the right technology, found the right brewing partner. And ultimately that was the biggest thing. I figured if we could make uh, something surprising, um, people would would uh, embrace it and start drinking it. And that's kind of what's happened. And I was reading a little bit about the process, Jeff. Um, I may have this wrong in my summary, but it seems uh, it seemed like the the traditional non-alcoholic beers, they they stopped the process before the the alcohol formed, which affected the taste. And you've come sure. up with a new approach, which brews the beer all the way through, but then takes the alcohol out after the fact. How do you do that? Yeah, that's, that's kind of it. There, was, there were two traditional ways that N.A. beers were made. One's called stop fermentation. And if you're in the home brewing business or a brewer, you know that uh, what you basically are left with is the wort. And it's a very sweet liquid because the sugars don't ferment, which is the thing that creates alcohol. So that had its host of problems. The other way was you'd have to boil the alcohol off and you have to raise the beer temperature to you know, 200 degrees and it scorches the beer, and it, it really makes the taste funny. And that was the other problem with that method. So 
So when, when we started this, it was like there aren't good non-alcoholic beers because it's a hard thing to make, and that was uh, one of the big hurdles. We found this machine out of Munich um, working with the Brewing College in Munich, and it's not a new technology. It has been around for a while, but it was new. Uh, there was a lot of new uh, things that this thing did in, in uh, the way it does, but essentially it takes our beer, puts it in a vacuum, and lowers the boiling temperature so we can gently remove the alcohol at room temperature, and it doesn't affect the flavor. Uh, and that's, that's the basic technology. And there's a lot of the tricks in that and uh, different things it does. But what you're left with is b- beer as a lifelong non-alcoholic beer drinker. The, the very first sip I had of our beer um, with the body, the mouthfeel, the aroma, I knew we had a really good product, um, and we've just gotten better at brewing it since. Well, I'm looking at the website here, and you have flavors such as golden wheat and dark amber mm-hmm. and coffee cream stout and, and uh, victory wheat. These are, these are all things that we would expect to see from a craft brewer. Yeah, and that's, it's such an exciting time for that to think of all the different things you can do with it. Um, and in addition, one thing that we can do that alcohol brewers can't is, is put things like electrolytes in our beer and, and promote it that way as a health drink because, you know, when you take the alcohol out, you're left with this low-calorie, all-natural, delicious base of a product that people love. And, you know, with craft brewing, they've added so many different things to brew all kinds of styles. What can we do in this space where we can add electrolytes, possibly add CBD and antioxidants and and all kinds of things in the future? And I think that's really exciting for us is to make uh, craft health beverages and beer that, that, you know, tastes delicious and does all kinds of fun things. We're talking with Jeff Stevens of Wellbeing Brewing here in the St. Louis area. And uh, when it comes to that that uh, idea to kind of position these as uh, beyond just the recreational drink, as a mm-hmm. kind of sports recovery drink, uh, how's that going? How's that that uh, outlook for that uh, kind of positioning for the product so far? Yeah, it's going really, really well. You know, we're such a small brewery that, that uh, we, have, we can't keep up with the demand of that specific product. And, and really, we're just always brewing to order right now. Um, so it's going really, really well. And I think if, if you have not tried that product, it is delicious. It is absolutely delicious. But you think about the years Michelob Ultra spent telling consumers that what you want after a race is beer. The alcohol is the thing that's not great for you. <laughs> the years that Gatorade has spent telling consumers you need electrolytes after a race, which is true. And, you know, to put those two things together just seems so uh, natural. Um, and we developed this really great product that's absolutely perfect after sports. Now, Jeff, uh, Michael mentioned in the opener that you were one of the first companies, the, the first company to uh, receive some investment through the Invested platform, uh, the crowdsourced investment platform. How uh, talk a little bit about that experience and how that helped kickstart the work that you're doing with Wellbeing. Yeah, that was that was just a serendipity. You know, a lot of things when you're in the startup game uh, turn out to be very serendipitous. Uh, that that platform was launching right at the same time that we needed the exact uh, infusion. Uh, it was this very bold idea put out there by St. Louis to do this crowdfunding platform for startups just in this city or this region, um, and we were just lucky enough to be the first ones to go on it. Uh, it worked great for us. Uh, it was as much of a, an awareness campaign and a marketing campaign as it was a fundraising campaign. So I can't speak highly uh, enough about it. If you're in, if you're in this area and you have a startup uh, to, to check that out as a, as a way to raise funds. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I would do it again. So, and we've actually talked about possibly doing another one in the future. 
And Jeff, uh, you mentioned the the health of the business so far, especially as you position it as a health product. Um, mm-hmm. But people may have seen the headline about a another brewery that begins with well, well spent uh-huh. brewing closing down. So that's not the mm-hmm. case. Well being brewing is is going strong. I mean, tell us tell us how things yeah. are going from a business and from a sales perspective there. Yeah, uh, it's it's going really really well. Uh, we have because we can sell direct to retailers. Uh, we've been able to sell to uh, a company like Total Wine directly, and then they can distribute to all their stores in 22 states. We can sell to BevMo in California, and they distribute to their stores, Specs in Texas. So there are ways that we could probably get out uh, a little wider than a traditional brewer that, that goes through wholesale channels and has to um, build those. Uh, so it's, it's going really well. I would say that this market, non-alcoholic beer, um, is is growing fast. It's grown around the world. Uh, it is it is a category that's rising, and we're in a really nice position for that. So at this moment, we're in the in that that great enviable position of we cannot make beer fast enough. So uh, it's going really really well. All right, well, Jeff. Before we wrap up, uh, you mentioned a couple of local places. Uh, just remind us again, where can people go to find Well Being Brew? Yeah, uh, so we are sold at all you know Schnucks, Deerbergs. Um, my, my favorite place in Lafayette Square Fields Foods is one of our best, the Hop Shop. All the good craft beer stores um, have us. In addition, we are now uh, getting into a lot of restaurants and bars around the city. So we are widely available. We have an uh, online map that will tell you where we are at. Um, but it's uh, hopefully, if we can keep the beer in stock, um, it, is, it is widely available in St. Louis especially. All right, Jeff Stevens from Wellbeing Brewing. Where do people go to find that map, for instance? Uh, wellbeingbrewing.com. Awesome. Uh, it's right on the front page, and thank you very much for that. Yeah, thank you very much, Jeff, for giving us an update on Wellbeing Brewing. Coming up next on Nothing Impossible, we'll continue the conversation about St. Louis workforce as Nothing Impossible continues. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. All right, Travis Sheridan, Michael Calhoun, and we are we're talking workforce. Uh, it is the thing that all of our employers need and the thing that most people want to be a part of. And we are going to get the latest on the big view from the air of how this is uh, playing out in St. Louis when it comes to our workforce situation, from education to businesses, from groups to individuals. Let's bring in Hart Nelson, the Associate Vice Chancellor of Workforce Solutions at St. Louis Community College. And uh, Hart, this is part of a a week-long focus on workforce in the St. Louis area. Kind of introduce us to... uh, all that's been going on this week, I guess, when it comes to how people work in this region. Well, I think it's, I appreciate that. I think it's the week-long effort that is going to lead into a month-long effort with some of the events coming up, uh, with the Governor's Economic Development Conference coming up here in a few months, and then the Missouri Chamber as well. Uh, It's the topic that is just on everyone's mind right now. And, you know, we're very proud at St. Louis Community College to now be in our second decade of offering this report. And this is actually our 11th annual State of the St. Louis Workforce Report. Um, and it's pretty amazing as someone who's newer to the college to look back on this body of work and say they've been tracking this economy and this workforce from kind of the depths of the Great Recession uh, all the way through the growth that we've had over the last 10 years. And really, you know, taking a look at what has that meant for our region going from 10% unemployment uh, to now where we're at with, you know, kind of 50-year 
uh, unemployment lows, uh, just over 3.4%. So uh, it is, uh, it's been enjoyable to be a part of this. But with the events going on, uh, our, our launch, the STL Works website and launch where uh, we had a number of partners with the Regional Business Council and Explore St. Louis leading on that effort and the college's involvement, uh, and then uh, a uh, job fair uh, today with Urban League on, uh, on trying to get folks into employment. And I think that's just really an example of how so many folks are focused on workforce and connecting people to jobs that are available. Now, Hart, one of the things that I think about is we are at a 50, maybe you said a 50-year low as it relates to our unemployment rate. But uh, what does that look like in underserved and underrepresented communities? I I mean, is the unemployment rate for the African-American community in St. Louis also at a historic low, or is there still some, a lot of work to be done there? There's a huge amount of work to be done, and I appreciate that. It's not just the African-American community, but when you take a look at, um, and last year we said the same thing, what is really full unemployment you know, kind of what does that really mean? Um, yeah, that's great. Um, national or the average, sorry, for the St. Louis region, 3.4%. It's lower than the national average. That's great. Um, but as a, a, one of our presenters, presenters, uh, Alan Spell at our event uh, on Wednesday said, averages hide a lot of things. <laughs> when we started working on the report this year, it was, we, all right, we've talked about full employment but is that true for everyone? And you know, as you laid out, that's absolutely not the case. For African-American community, especially for young African-American men, and especially in certain neighborhoods in our region, we're talking 18 to 37%. We actually even saw uh, unemployment in one area. I mean, it's just astronomically different than that 3.4%. Uh, and then we took a look at, all right, well, is that has been a historical trend? Is that something that's isolated to St. Louis? And also not at all. And folks are probably you know, not surprised by that. But when you take a look over about a 20-year period um, and track the national unemployment rate, and then you take a look at the African-American unemployment rate, it continually trends higher, around three times higher uh, on average. But then there's other groups there. When you take a look at, for example, folks with disabilities, um, they double the regular unemployment rate. It's just about 8% right now. Uh, and then the last group that we took a look at uh, in, in a little detail was uh, were folks who have just were justice involved. Um, and the national average, we didn't really have good figures around the local uh, numbers there, but nationally, around 27% of folks who were justice involved uh, are unemployed. And again, that's the, the unemployment number where it's folks actively looking for work um, that are out of work. So this isn't the underemployed. Um, you know, this is we're truly talking about people who want to work and have no job. Uh, so it's just a huge disparity. And at the same time that employers are saying we need people, we can't find anyone. Um, you know, what we're trying to show with this report is, hey, I know where you should be looking. Uh, and hopefully um, we'll uh, have some, spur some employers to start saying, hey, how do we reach out to this pool of great talent uh, to make sure that we've got folks who have the skills they need and who need jobs? So if I remember back to my, uh, actually, a community college economics class, my favorite days of, of, uni- of school were probably spent in the first two and a half years at community college. Remembering my economics class, this isn't just purely a supply and demand issue because it sounds like uh, we have a supply of workforce. Uh, it's just not necessarily aligned perfectly to meet the demand of our employers. 
That's correct. And it's, it's exactly that. How do we make sure that there's a pathway for folks to get from, I want to work and I just may not have this skill set that employer X needs. Um, you know, there, it's not a clear pathway. Um, and, and that's the, the concern. Sometimes the pathway isn't clear because the potential employee isn't even aware that that job exists. You know, we find that uh, at the community college and, and things everywhere from our biotech lab assistant, who knows what that means. It's a great paying job. Uh, it's working in a lab environment on some of the highest technology in our region and biotech and ag tech, but it's like, what does that job actually look like and how do I get into a program like that? And it's a great program because we have folks who are employed at the startups and the large companies, uh, biotech companies in our region before they even graduate from our program. So that's a measure of success. But it's also in fields like healthcare. Uh, everyone really, you know, they understand what a nurse is, what a doctor is because they've seen them, but do they really understand what a patient care technician is? And, and you know, a lot of folks don't, or a medical assistant. Um, and medical assistants are, are great jobs. Again, this is in a doctor's office paying $35,000 a year and up. Um, but it's the, how do I get into those careers? And if you don't have anyone in your community who has a job like that, or a relative who has a job like that, you may not know that those jobs exist. And so events, uh, like our State of the St. Louis Workforce Report, like the STL Works website, that's, they're intended to help folks understand these are the jobs that are out there. Here's how you get there. And then the last piece, which I think is so key, is to make sure we have employer involvement. Employers just can't sit back like they did 10 years ago and expect that they're going to get 60, 60 resumes <laughs> for every open position. They're, you know, they're at that point now, and they're recognizing it increasingly where you, know, you have to go out and present yourself, pitch yourself. Uh, and you know a lot about that. You've got to pitch yourself to, uh, to the prospective employees and say, this is what we have to offer, and these are the jobs that we have, and I think that we're seeing that. Hart, we heard at the STL Works event that there are 200,000 unfilled positions that are requiring of skilled workers that just, just aren't out there in this region, and... So how do you get to the point where, you know, you can help one person here or five people there through, you know, individual programs or, uh, you know, reaching out, but how do you achieve that kind of scale where you've got unemployment that's a whopping 37% in some areas, those folks want to work, these companies have tens of thousands of open positions, how do you really make a dent and retrain 200,000 people in the St. Louis area? Well, and I think that uh, it isn't going to be, it's, it's, it's a scale between somewhere between the one-offs and the 200,000, right? You're not going to, if it is a boutique, um, individually, I'm going to be going and looking at every single individual. I think that's going to be difficult to do in the time frame we have. It's the, what we'd love to do because um, every person is unique. I think that some of the comments that were made uh, during our presentation from the panel is everyone is human. We need to remember that and they have particular needs. But I think that it's also not looking at that 200,000 number. What we need to do is to get into the communities where we know we have higher rates of unemployment. And it may not just be a physical neighborhood uh, in the case of uh, people with disabilities, for example, or justice-involved individuals, but that community of people that, say, that have a higher unemployment rate and say, here are five pathways, 10 pathways, here are... 
uh, a stru- here is a structural solution to getting you skilled up in the kind of positions that are available. And, you know, the, so that there, is, are, there are options. I don't want to uh, infer to say that we just want to say, here's the one thing that you can do. That's not it at all. To provide some options to say, if healthcare is your interest, here are two or three career paths that are quick, that I think that that's one of the key things is um, people are right now recognizing that it is a good economy. Even if you're someone who's been left behind, it's a, it, people are aware of the fact that it's a good economy, that there's jobs available, and they just want to access them. So they don't want to wait necessarily four years for a degree. They don't even want to wait two years for an associate's degree from the college. They want to get to work as soon as possible. And so to be able to go into a community and say, here are four pathways, eight pathways to get you into these fields, and the training is six months, for example, or it's three months. Um, and we've got programs, truck driving is five weeks, and, and you could be out there making $55,000 as a truck driver. And to say, here's how long it's going to take you. Here's how you get there. Um, that is really what's going to start solving those 200,000 uh, job gaps, skill gaps, or there's basically gaps in the skills that folks have and the positions that are available. I mean, I think that the other structural issue, which is uh, you talk about the economics class, and that's a longer term one, is right now we've got more jobs available than even people looking for work. So even if we were able to take a perfect match, which we're not, I just described that, but if I was able to perfectly, uh, uh, you know, uh, completely efficient economy and get every single person into a job, we still have more jobs available. You know, that becomes a question of how do we increase the labor participation rate, which has been stuck around 66 to 68 percent, I think. It really hasn't moved. Um, And then how do we get more people to move here to St. Louis, whether it's from foreign, foreign immigration or domestic migration? You know, how do we and it's something that I know you guys talk about a lot is how do we get people to come here to St. Louis to attract them here and then most importantly, keep them here? Uh, you know, I, I say by myself, I'm a two time transplant to St. Louis. I love it here. I tell everyone that. But we need to have be all on the same page to get more people to move here. When I think about new ways or innovative ways to get people uh, engaged or uh, connected to pathways, you know, uh, Michael and I talk a lot about uh, the the role that Launch Code plays in helping people get connected to tech jobs. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Community College and for the program that you all have out at the Danforth Center in Bridge Park that's training uh, bi- uh, biotechnicians, right, that are giving, giving people exposure, real world exposure uh, that will help not only these startups, but the large corporates that have those needs. Those are just two of the pathways. Pathways, uh, and I wanted to Hart. Before we wrap up, I wanted to hear from you a little bit about. Uh, you said that you know a lot of these skills don't require four-year degrees or over t- even two-year degrees. Talk to us a little bit about how community colleges are evolving to meet the needs of a changing workforce and the the needs of changing employer demands. Well, I think that there's always going to be a need at a college. You know, we have what we call two sides here. We have our credit programs, which are, you know, this really academically rigorous. It's a two-year Associates of Applied Science or Associates of Fine Arts. We have these programs um, that are designed for folks who want to get into the workforce um, or they want to transfer to a four-year institution. And those programs are, are great. I will put in a plug to say they're fabulous because you can graduate with almost no debt or no debt. They've actually um, over 80% of our students graduate with no debt. So those are great programs. But it also, when you take a look at the number of employers that we have out there who have jobs available with that only require short-term training, um, that was a huge finding, and it's been a very consistent finding of our workforce report 
then you take a look at almost half of the employers we interviewed for our survey, 43% of them said that half or more of their jobs, so 50 to 100% of the jobs that they have available right now are accessible to folks with only short-term training. And what we define that as is basically less than a year. Um, and that is just that opportunity for folks to get into the workforce right away. Um, you know, our biotech lab program, there's a one-year certificate. So again, short-term training, and you're able to go work for a company uh, like KWS, uh, like, you know, New Leaf Symbiotics. You're able to work for these companies who are doing amazing things, feeding the world um, with just a year of training. That is unique. I, I think that those are some opportunities that we just really need to make folks aware of. And, and, and honestly, for the college and all of the folks working on workforce, that's where I think we're recognizing we need to do a much better job is to make people aware of these are great job opportunities. Um, they're things that you could do for a career, or it could just be the thing that you do next that's going to allow you to achieve the life that you want. And, uh, and they're available. We've got the programs, and we just need to make sure that we get people into them. You can find the State of St. Louis Workforce Report at stlcc.edu. Hart Nelson, Associate Vice Chancellor for Workforce Solutions at St. Louis Community College. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back with more Nothing Impossible after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. We're going to hear from Dr. Art McCoy from the Jennings, Super, uh, the Jennings School Superintendent about how it's not a binary choice between starting your career immediately or going to college. So career pathways can be created as young as kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. We have four career pathways where kindergartners are reciting the Hippocratic Oath for Healthcare and being connected with targeted mentors that are in healthcare, visiting and site visits to their work locations and then they're following them to give them the work ethic to have the science and math skills. Another example is Building Futures partners with us to do second graders through high schoolers for building fidget spinners in second grade, tables, uh, desks, birds house birdhouses and by the time they're junior high they're doing doors and easements and by the time they're in high school that's how our junior in high school had the ability to build a house had the ability he had an OSHA certification OSHA 15 and a park, park, uh, fork lifting power tool certification by 18 he's standing right next to me and uh, he's getting paid $20 an hour right now working for Needham House building building a uh, hospital in St. Louis City so so K-12 systems need to create career pathways early, like third grade, second grade. MasterCard comes and teaches coding, block coding to our third graders. In middle school, they're learning Python. And in high school, uh, high school we have Georgia Research Institute of Technology teaching them uh, big data and how to actually do the work that the NGA will be hiring people for. And they're teaching our juniors that so they can be equipped to have those jobs. So we're moving at the speed of our need because our community uh, has a need for jobs. And so we We've made that a part of our everyday education from third grade and even as young as kindergarten all the way up. I love that hands-on stuff. Well, now we call it learning and earning. And so for, for everyone that's under 15 and a half, which gives you the worker's permit, we do project-based learning where they all are involved in creating a project, building a project, designing a project, and making creating something as a service to the community to solve a problem that they see in their home, in their street, in their community, in the state. And then by high school or even middle school, they have they, they they have jobs where they're getting paid. Uh, we have girls being uh, paid to build planes uh, with the wings of hope and in the spirit of Chesterfield Airport and so many other things. So 
Uh, we are a little ahead of the future, but we are working, and the RBC has me working with surrounding school districts to implement these career pathways. And it's not like when we went to school. It's not either or, where you either go into a career or you go to college. It's both and. The career leads to the college classes that the kids take. So our kids get free community college classes uh, in high school, their junior and sophomore, sophomore, junior, senior year, to the point where they can get an associate's degree while in high school. But they got to first choose the career because otherwise the college classes makes no sense and it's unnecessary debt which is why we have the debt crisis in America so we need to start with their purpose for their life a plan a career pathway power skills and then you move them on that track towards a meaningful wage and productive citizenry I guess that's why you begin in kindergarten so that by high school they can decide which of these yes. tracks to follow yes I, I know you're not the superintendent in Ferguson anymore but no with, you know Friday yes how do you compare all of these opportunities to five years ago as, it's a great question. The situation's gotten much better. So even in Jennings as a superintendent, I serve a third of Ferguson still, South Ferguson where the uh, ground zero was for the police officers and the National Guard. Uh, the, the situation has gotten much better for at least three reasons. There's a unified message now and a unified understanding that if we don't all come together, we will all go down together. And so corporations have come and wrapped around the, the school systems, their support with funding. Uh, as a school system leader, I've been able to get about a million dollars of private funding support from the corporations to get these paid internships for our students, but other things that they do, like character development, having mentors come in to help see what they can be. Students have to see what they can be. But just regionally speaking, there's more diversity in leadership. There's more opportunities for microloans, for small business startups. There are more for-profits and non-profits that are present and committed towards the goal. Now it's up to us as a, as a community to just have a goal, a vision, a unified plan, and then attack it because it can happen. And that's what we're doing. All right. Thank you for joining us this week on Nothing Impossible. Tune in next week. We'll talk more innovation, entrepreneurship in St. Louis. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.